Well, thank you, Mark. Mark, how's that? I'm sounding a little more like you. I'm trying. But it is a real privilege just to, to come and hang out with you this evening and uh, just to be invited when Mark, uh, Mark, when he, I'm trying, but uh, when he texted me the other couple of weeks ago and said, hey, would you be free and available? Uh, it was an absolute privilege for me to say, yeah, I'd love to come. And uh, I do just want to thank you guys for this incredible friendship, relationship, partnership. It's more than a relationship for me. I see biblically there's a partnership where we have a like-mindedness, this like-hearted, like-mind, like-vision, similar, uh, trying to do the same thing in a similar area, expressed differently, and we celebrate that. But it's the same heart to see Jesus lifted up and exalted. And uh, I just love this couple. We don't spend enough time together. I keep thinking that. We live so close together. We're just too busy, but we've got to sort that out and fix that. But I really do just appreciate this couple and this friendship that we have with you guys. It is, it is great to, to have friends who are doing, like I said earlier, similar things in different regions. We pray for you. We pray for Erie, for the city. We pray for the surrounding area because we are called to the same, same state and we're in the same nation doing what God has called us to. So thank you for the privilege. I, I do appreciate it. And I don't take it lightly. I have prayed into this really wanting to hear what is it God has for you this evening. And I hope I have that word. I believe I have. And so I really want to encourage you to hear. Open up your hearts and your ears and trust God to speak. How many of you know that God does speak? I hope that's why you're here this evening. Not to hear some message or some good idea or gathering the saints for just a, a, a connection. Uh, that's important, but it's not important enough. We need to hear what God has to say. And, and I'm delighted that God is speaking. He wants His people, His church to know what He's saying. And He wants to let us know what it is He's involved in so we can carry on walking in what He said and what He's doing rather than just doing our best and hoping for the best. Uh, God hasn't called us to do that. We are partnering with this great God. And I hope you can understand my accent, all right? Is it funny? I hope not. I hope you can understand the words I'm saying. And when I get excited, I begin to speed up. So just raise your hand and I'll accept that as a salvation this evening. No, I'm joking. I'll accept to slow down. But it is a joy to be here this evening. If you've got a Bible, please turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And, and I, I'm going to challenge us this evening. How many of you know that God, when He speaks, wants to encourage us, wants to envision us, but He also wants to challenge us? And some of us don't like challenge. If we're honest, maybe most of us, we don't like to be challenged. We like our comfort zones. We like to uh, kind of be... Um, just informed of things. But when God wants to challenge us, it's in a sense, He wants to bring revelation to stir us, to trust Him more, to believe more of what He has for us, and to walk in greater purposes. How many of you want to walk in something greater than what you are today? How many of you know there's more? And why are we grateful? I want to commend this church. There seems to be such purity here. There is a godliness. I love your passion. I, I love your, your desire to raise the name of Jesus. I, I love even hearing your announcements and what you're wanting to do and building kingdom life and, and, and there's such purity and justice and acknowledgement for Jesus. And I believe there's a favor of God for that. How many of you know, how many of you know God likes that? He wants that. And He favors people who rave about His Son. And I'm convinced of that. If you want to please God, the only way to please Him according to the Bible is actually to rave about His Son. That's what brings pleasure to Him. I mean, when, when the people ask Jesus, so what must we do to do the will of God. And Jesus said to believe in the one who He has sent. That's the will of God. You want to go and do the will of God? Believe in who? Jesus. Because that, in a sense, is the will of God. That's what pleases the Father. And there seems to be that in this room. And I certainly know this couple, that's their heart, is to glorify Jesus and exalt His name. But here we see in Isaiah chapter 6, well, let me also just say that this is a church plant. plant. And... And you planted a few months before us. And so we're kind of on a similar journey. And I love to come here because you're a few months ahead of us. And just peek over and have a look at what's happening. See the growth. See what God's doing. Excited to hear about leaders. And you're wanting to raise up more leaders and get involved and release guys. What a wonderful statement of health and growth. It's not just about filling a building. It's about the healthiness of the people that attend and what it is that God's doing. However, we do want to see this place full full and multiplied and more meetings and multiple meetings to fit in here. I believe that is the purpose of God. 
And I trust that you're believing for more of those things. But when you plant a church, the thing about church planting, one of the greatest things I think about it is you get to develop culture. You don't inherit it. I, I had the privilege of leading a church before I planted the church that we've just planted three years ago. I led a church in Australia and I was handed that church and that church has been going 30 years. And so when you hand it a church that has a history and it has momentum and it has a whole lot of people, uh, thousands of people and lots of leaders and it, it, it carries its own culture and in a sense you inherit a culture, you don't get to develop it. And you spend the rest of your life in ministry trying to develop new culture in the culture or change culture or turn it around. But the privilege of, of church planting is you get to develop culture. And it's awesome. And what you're doing here is you're developing something. But I also want to say this, that if you're not developing culture and you're not intentional about the culture you're developing, there is a culture that is being developed. So a lot of us, including myself as a pastor, think, well, if we're not developing that culture, then it's okay. No, friends, it's not okay because culture is being developed whether you're intentional or not. Therefore, we better be intentional about the culture we want rather than just embracing a culture that we will get. Does that make sense? And so I love that we get to develop this culture. And one of the cultures I believe there is that God is stirring and wanting us to believe more and trust for in this whole thing of centered around the king and his kingdom. It's not about growing a church, but I'm going to talk about growing a church this evening. But it's, it's not just about filling buildings. It's about advancing the kingdom for the king. It's centered around the king Jesus. Let me, let me tell you again, friends, America's not looking for a good church. America's not looking for nice buildings and fancy buildings and great coffee, although we love all those things and great singing. Those are all important. But America is, I still believe, longing for Jesus Christ. And the problem is, the biggest hindrance, I believe, that I keep saying to the kingdom culture, unfortunately in this great nation, is the church culture. The church culture has almost got in the way of the kingdom culture. And it's all about the church. It's all about the mission and all about the people. And it's all about the pastor and all that. And again, I'm not anti those things because you can't do away with them, but that's not what it's all about. Ultimately, it's about a king who is Jesus Christ and it's about advancing his kingdom through the church. God has no other plan. This plan is not Mark's, Mark's idea or my idea or the pastor's idea. This is God's plan, and God doesn't have another plan. And I wish He did, like you. Wish at times He had another plan, because the plan A doesn't seem to be working all the time. But God hasn't got plan B. It's plan A. And the plan A is through the church. Ephesians chapter 3. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to principalities and powers and authorities and rulers. God's plan is through us, His people, who will bring something of His kingdom here. So I believe that the church is not the kingdom. I believe the church is the agency through which His kingdom comes. So we are in the kingdom, and the kingdom's in us, but we're not the kingdom because the kingdom's far bigger than us. We have a responsibility to see the kingdom advance in and through us. Would you agree with that? And now how do I know that? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 16, when he talked for the, about the church for the first time, he said after Peter recognized who he was, he asked, who do people say that I am? And he said, some say that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Elisha, one of the prophets. In other words, you're a good preacher doing good stuff. And then he said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for that was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, that didn't come by some man's uh, revelation. That came by my Father giving you that revelation. And can I suggest this evening that God is still in the business of giving that revelation to His people and to people out there of who Jesus is, because that's what matters most. And when Jesus said, That's good, bless you, and now let me tell you who you are after you know who I am. And then he said, and you are Peter. And on this rock, what did he say? I will build my church. So this is not a good idea because Jesus is building the church. It's the only idea. And we're not building it. He is. 
And then he goes on and he begins to describe this church. It's a church that lives in victory. Not some people hanging on for the survival of Jesus. Please come back because we can't cope. But rather a church, he said, and this church uh, will, will storm the gates of hell. This, this church will be on the front foot. It's a success. It's fruitful. It's demonstrating power. And it's advancing the, king, advancing the kingdom for the king and his glory. Would you say amen to that? And so that's the church that Jesus is building. That's the church that Impact Rock is. Not a good idea. Not started by people who were bored with what they saw there. Not out of reaction because of what they saw in the church. Because what God said, I want to do something significant through more people here in Erie and beyond. And therefore I'm bringing these people with you people. And I'm going to add people to this community who are going to see Jesus exalted and they're going to see a kingdom advanced. And let me tell you, friends, the Bible says that the kingdom is forcefully advancing. This kingdom has no retreat. It's going forward and it's through you and through I because God made it that way. And so there's a kingdom advancement and there's a developing a culture in this church and it's a kingdom culture, but it's expressed in many ways. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I love this text. It, it has stirred me to no end. And many people say this is the commissioning of Isaiah, but actually it's not. I know your Bible has a, has a, has a, a heading that says Isaiah's commission. But actually, if you know history or understand the context, Isaiah had been preaching for 18 years before this happened. So this was not his commission. This was, in a sense, a recommissioning or a refocusing so Isaiah could get the right understanding so he could be who God called him to be. And so it says in the year, verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Interesting how the Lord decided to reveal Himself to this prophet who needed to see something in a time of transition and in a time of vulnerability, the Lord revealed Himself afresh to this prophet. And it says, When that king died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Verse 2, Above Him was seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. Oh. I'm longing for some more of this woe to me. I'm longing, like you, for God to reveal Himself afresh to the church. Not just to the world, but to the church. Because when there's a woe to me, after seeing what Isaiah saw, he was no longer... If you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, it was woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And then the Lord reveals Himself, and He sees the Lord in His glory, and then He suddenly moves from woe to you to woe to me. The church today in our great nation is walk around woeing to everyone else. How to reach people when you're woeing them. But when God reveals Himself, woe is me, I cry. This prophet who's been prophesying and preaching for 18 years sees God in His glory and His splendor and His purity and He goes, woe to me, I cried. Why? Look what it says. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King of glory. Almighty. Then one of the servants flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. See, I, I still marvel at this text. I love how God revealed Himself. And when God revealed Himself, this man saw something that undid Him. It ruined Him. 
And I, I believe God's stirring us, friends. This church this evening, and it's not let's get the evangelist in to fire us up to get out there and win people for Jesus. It's rather let's see God again in His glory. Because, my friends, that motivates us to this. And it would seem that God had a plan here. He set Isaiah up by revealing Himself. And when He revealed Himself, Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm done. And I'm also living with the people who are unclean. Friends, let me tell you, Erie is beautiful. Colorado, to me, is the most beautiful state in the whole planet. And I travel all the time. I get on an airplane tomorrow, and I'm flying to London, England. I know that's not the most beautiful place either. either. Forgive me if you're English. But there are places all over. I've lived in California. I've lived in Australia. I've lived in South Africa. I've lived in Africa. I've traveled the world all the time. And let me tell you, this has to be the most beautiful state on the planet. The people in this state are incredible. They are so friendly. They are so nice. Yes, they got problems like every other state, but they're so friendly. I go for a run and people greet me. That doesn't happen anywhere in the world anymore. They're friendly. They're willing. They're loving. They rise up when there's a challenge and all this stuff. But let me tell you, behind all that, when you see Him in His glory, you see who you are and you get to see truly who people are after seeing who God is. And you can't be duped by the, pr- the, uh, the prettiness or the splendor around us because behind it there is people who are desperately needing God and friends it's hard to see that I mean I just drove here from Westminster and the mountains are wow it's a bit of snow still up there and the houses and the people and I'm just like God I can't believe I live here I'm so blessed to live here but behind here these people are ruined why they are unclean and nothing can make them clean they can't just clean up their act Isaiah was undone by seeing himself. I think the church has to see ourselves from time to time. I recognize that we are called to be uh, these wonderful people, but we're only wonderful because God is wonderful. And sometimes we forget that and we're so judgmental. Friends, we've got to see God. When we see God, we see ourselves. When we see ourselves, we see others. I love that God didn't just leave him undone. Some Christians have stayed undone. And so what happens is they're undone. And and God didn't say, okay, now you've seen who I am. Now you've seen who you are. And you've seen these people. Now I'm leaving you. God in his glory sends an angel to touch his lips. Do you know, Isaiah didn't do anything. The whole thing of your guilt taken from you was an angel touching his lips. Isaiah just stood there and received guilt taken away. That's salvation today, friends. It's not what do we have to do to be saved. It's done, and we must just get people to respond to what's been done today. And the Lord touched His lips. And He didn't leave it there like many Christians think. Wow, we've seen Him. Wow, we've seen us. We've seen others. And the Lord's touched my lips. And now I'm living this great life waiting for the return of Christ. No, then the Lord said, Now that you've experienced redemption, now that you've seen me, who will go for us and tell these people? Are you there, friends? I told you He wants to challenge us tonight. I'm challenged. I can't just enjoy the fruit and the, the, the longing of my life to just be with Jesus. It has to be demonstrated here. What I have, I've got to give. I don't need evangelists to come tell me that. Jesus wants us to know that. And when you sing God in His glory, you have to respond with, Woe is me, woe is them. My guilt has been taken. Now, Lord, how can I go and tell these wonderful people what we've been given. I wonder what we think of when we think about Jesus. I do wonder that. One of my most favorite verses is in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. What it says is, And after He, being Jesus, provided purification for our sins, which means He did it all, it says that He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. <laughs> you know what that tells me? He finished... The work that was required of him. Completed. The fact he sat down doesn't mean he's lazy, but people sit down when the job's done. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. In other words, his earthly mission is over. Do you know that? He has no more earthly mission. He's now in heaven with a heavenly mission, interceding on our behalf. And he left for us a walk and a purpose here on earth to walk in the completed work of what Jesus has done. 
I also love that when he sat down, it's confirmation he is who he says he is. See, I can preach like this to you because I'm convinced he is who he is. Because he sat down and proved it because no one else has sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. There are a lot of people in this great nation who claim many things about themselves. But Jesus claimed it, lived it, and has now proved it by sitting down. Confirmed there is no other Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Completed the work. Confirmed who He is. Conquered the devil. The fact He sat down. I love how the devil's roaming to and fro throughout the earth and Jesus is seated and resting. Isn't that how? That's, that's who I sing about when we sing about Jesus tonight. Not some dude who walked this earth. Someone who's seated and has been given the name above every other name and has conquered the enemy, confirmed who He is, completed the work and is now interceding that we walk in the finished work of what He has. That's the Jesus who we've got to keep seeing for us to be reaching out to all these people. I think too many Christians are living in parole, on parole. I've got friends who've served in the penitentiary and they are now out on parole and parole is good behavior bond, which means what? If they mess up, they're back in the slammer. But many Christians are living like that. They think salvation is this thing of parole and we're out on good behavior. And the moment you step out, you're back in. Friends, let me just remind you about when Jesus completed this work. You know what happened? He paid the ransom. There's nothing more to pay. You and I can't pay for our sin. It's no good behavior. It's payment is paid in full. You can't go back. But many are like living on the edge here, walking the tightrope, wondering, is this good behavior or not? Just live in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He has done it all. Now, if we don't see that, we'll never reach people. But He wants this church, us, to keep seeing those things. I believe that God is a God of mission. I, I believe He did all this and He revealed it afresh to Isaiah for a mission. And He said, who would go for us? And friends, I, 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 I don't want to be judgmental, but I, I believe that churches who forget about mission or, or stop worrying about others and begin to just look at themselves, I honestly believe they in a sense cease their right to exist. Because when I look at Scripture, God's heart beats for people who have yet to hear about Jesus. God cares still for the people who have yet to hear. And the whole church didn't start, the Great Commission didn't start with Matthew 28. The Great Commission started in the heart of the Father. God is a God of missions. The Bible is a book of missions. This Great Commission started in God's heart. God's heart for the lost. For God so loved the world, He gave His Son. So it's not some commission we have. It's, it's the very reason we're existing here on earth. Otherwise, to be honest, when we come to Jesus, He should just take us straight to heaven. But He doesn't. Why? Not to endure earth, but to advance a kingdom and let the other people know exactly what we've received. Are you there, friends? That's the reason Impact Rock is here. It is to gather the saints together, to equip, it's to enlighten, but it's also to see this place full, to get out amongst the area and get people saved, friends. And let me tell you, Americans are still looking for Jesus. There's this thing, are we, we've over... Um, Evangelize. No, friends, this is the, the third most unreached city or, or, or state in America. 70% north of, of, of Denver have never heard the name of Jesus or unchurched. Can you believe those statistics? I find that shocking, but the more I get out there, the more I realize. We've had 25-year-olds, not, not, not immigrants, and I know all Americans apparently are immigrants, but not, not immigrants, born and bred Americans come and get saved in our church and they're 25 years old they've never heard the name of Jesus and they've never been to church and that's not foreign that's a lot of people in our region where you are based where we're based north yeah I understand Colorado Springs and that's the but that's not where we are where we are most people go north go up to Boulder and beyond these people don't have a clue that's why God put us here that's where Impact Rock is here in Erie. <laughs> and Impact Rock's not a building, it's a people. And that's every person in this room. Amen. All right. So, 
Go with me please to Luke chapter 14. Are you cool? Alright. You know, it's amazing as you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus framed His ministry, His life, around two key words. Come and go. Are you there? The whole of Jesus' ministry and life was revolved around these two words. Come and go. Come and go. And I still believe that's God's intention for the church. Come and go. Come and go. Come and that we should start our day like that. We should connect with Jesus and we should be people, of the, uh, the church people who are coming to Him and going. Coming and going. That's ministry. That's why we're here. And that's what I believe God's intention is still for this local church in what you call to invitation and challenge. Come and go. Invite and challenge. Invitation and challenge. I believe one of the cultures we've got to develop again. And I, I know, you, you know, when we first started, first two years, we just had this culture happening. And suddenly we, we got so used to thinking we had a culture, we got so busy with the church people, we realized, honestly, within the fir- after the first two years, we weren't seeing more people being added or people coming or at least getting saved. A lot of people relocating and come, but we weren't seeing a lot more people. We used to, when we first started, get see people get saved every week. Then after two years, it's like we got busy with church people. I'm not saying it's wrong to have church people. Are you with me? But it's not just about us. It's about, and so we've got to develop a bringing culture. And because I'm a preacher like Mark, who believes that it's not about filling a building, it's about getting on the streets. What most is, if we overemphasize the streets, it's all done out there and nobody's coming here. And I believe it's both come and go. And so I want to stir this church to develop again and afresh a coming and bringing culture. Because if you're not bringing, developing a bringing culture, then there's no culture being developed in that area. And suddenly it's just we all arrive and we don't bring anyone with us. Now my heart, and I love how he introduced me. I mean, I was a little embarrassed. It's almost like he was talking about Jesus. He's talking about... No. But what I love what he said is this man has taught me not about growing my church. And that's not what I'm preaching about growing your church. Because you can't grow your church. That has to come off the noose around our neck. And pastors, that's my thing, is to liberate preachers and pastors. You can't grow your church, so get rid of that and worrying about that and get on with advancing the kingdom. So I'm not about growing your church, but I'm telling you, God wants to fill this place with people of all types. And that's what I'm challenging you. And He's not going to just bring them to your door. You've got to go and gather and bring. It's a culture that needs to be developed afresh in the local church again. I'll show you from the scripture. That's God's heart. Luke chapter 14, verse 12, please. Now, this is Jesus, again, speaking about the kingdom. And what I love is Jesus always spoke about the kingdom. It wasn't something he added on. It was his message, the kingdom. And he says this in verse 12 of Luke 14. It says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. Whoa. This is going to challenge us. (laughs) Your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let's read on. Verse 15, the parable of the great banquet. It says, when one, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. These three excuses are still the excuses today. Number one, the first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see. Go and see to it. Please excuse me. My possessions. Sorry, I've got this field and I've got to go and take care of it. So I can't come to your banquet. 
Another verse 19 said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. My career, my job, my business, my profession. Stick with the P's. Number one, my pro- uh, possession. Number two, my profession. Now, are we against people having jobs? Not at all. I believe the call of God is all of us walking in the, the career that He has for us here on earth. As much as you doing your business out there is as important in God's eyes as me being a pastor and a preacher. I believe that wholeheartedly. That's kingdom living. But when that stuff gets in the place of the king, there's a problem. And let me tell you, it's still the problem in this great land today. I'm too busy taking care of my house. I'm too busy trying to climb the corporate ladder to be recognized. So I can't come to this banquet you're talking about. And thirdly, I know you were just away, ladies and gentlemen, for husbands and wives. But look at this, verse 20. Another said, I can't, I just got married. Oh, I just got married, so I can't be at your banquet. Friends, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, let me not even get into this, because you had your marriage time. But let me tell you, friends, we serve God together. We don't serve each other. My wife's not my ministry. Jesus has called us together to advance the care. Are you there with me? So today's like, you know, you know, we have prayed with people who have wished for a spouse. I've been in ministry 20 years. We have prayed in churches. I've been in, and it's the biggest thing of singles wanting to get married. And we spend months fasting and praying. And guess what? They get married. And guess what? We never see them again. And then it comes to those who are desperate to have children. And I'm not being dishonoring. Some of you maybe in this room are desperate to give birth to a child. And we stand with them. We fast for years and years. And then they fall praying. They have a baby. We never see them again. Why? They're taking care of their child. Now, I want to just tell you, something's wrong when the very provision of God becomes the focus of our lives rather than the one who gave us that provision. Are you there, friends? I know you probably, you'll have me back. You might not come back. That's why he doesn't tell you. Straight up, right? We went straight up. We, we, we. Anyway, so I'm not talking to you because you're all here. I'm talking to them who haven't come. But they're coming. Now, let me just... <laughs> Get in trouble for a minute. See, I've listened to a lot of evangelists tell us how to go and reach people. And please hear me, I'm not anti-evangelist. I got them in our church, and I'm, Terry Kruger, you have in this church often, he's an evangelist. All he talks about is the lost. I'm, I'm like, there's more to life than lost people. There is. You can amen that. I'm not lost, and I'm important to God. So there's others, right? But, but. But I've listened to the teachings around evangelism and it's all based on building relationship first. It's all about friendship evangelism. And let me tell you, friends, I'm not anti-friendship evangelism, but I am anti-friendship evangelism if that's the only evangelism you're doing. Why? Because Jesus refutes that right there. You see, for the guys to be invited to the, to the banquet means they were on the guest list, which means they had a relationship with the man who was having the banquet. To be on the list means you've got a relationship. But everyone on the list had an excuse why they can't come. Let me tell you, your friends are generally the ones who won't come because you've built a relationship with them. Now they can say no to you. Yeah, I moved to this country. You can tell I've got an accent. I arrived here three years ago. I didn't have time to befriend Denver before I invited them to the church. I'll still be having no one in our church. Most people came in by people I didn't know and they got saved, not the people I built friendship with. I mean that as a fact. The people I've befriended are not saved. The people I didn't befriend but we just invited off the street are the ones who we've seen added and saved in the church we lead. Now I'm not saying bail your friends. But I am saying it's an excuse to say I'm having coffee every week with someone and you're befriending them. How much evangelism is taking place? Nothing. Why? Because you know it's so friendly with them, you're too scared to bring Jesus into the equation. <laughs> Are you there, guys? So don't go cut your friendships. But I'm telling you, in the city, eerie, the lame, the people you don't want to connect with, and I'm speaking spiritually lame, blind, poor, those are the ones who are desperate for the banquet that we are eating of all the time. Yet we'll never connect with them. Why? Because we'd never befriend them. I'm saying stop befriending and go and invite them because they, my friends, will come and eat of this banquet. That's your inheritance. Yeah, come on. Here we go. Those guys, they need to be in here. 
So, so look what he says. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets <laughs> and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Let me tell you this evening, there is still room here. God wants you to know there's still room. Then the master told his servant, verse 23, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now this is not God's house. But God can wants this place to be full. And then it says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. All the excuses are still out there. I'm not a statistic man, but I do listen to some statistics. And the Institute for American Church Growth, they asked 10,000 people from all denominations all across the United States of America, and they asked this one question to 10,000 different people. They asked, what was, the, what was responsible for you coming to this church? 10,000 people, all different churches, all different denominations, spirit-filled, and those who are Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever and everywhere. 10,000. And they got this, this is what they asked. Why did you come to this church? And this is how they replied. 2% said they had a special need. 3% just walked in. 6% said they like the pastor. So that takes the pressure off us who are always getting blamed for the reason our churches aren't growing. is because we've got this pastor who's too in your face or too whatever. <laughs> that, that only 6% is Mark's fault. That's the point. And Kara. And Kara. Okay. Kara's the, the conscience of... Yeah, okay. 1% visited. Just visited. 1% liked the Sunday school. That's interesting. I mean, I'm not saying they're not important. I'm just saying all the stuff we we think is so important. 3% like the programs. 5% other. Here's the big one. 79%. 7,900 out of 10,000. Why are you in this church? This is why. Someone invited me. Not my friend. Someone. someone. Not my family, my friend, just somebody invited me. 79, almost 80% of the 10,000 said somebody invited me to this church. Now I reckon the reason we don't invite people, it's not because we don't like the church, it's because we forget what we get to eat of at that banquet. And when you and I realize what we have, let me tell you, friends, we would feel compelled not to just tell our friends, to tell anyone everywhere to come and eat of what we eat. So I don't want to beat you over the head this evening. I really don't. I want to bring a few truths of why we need. This isn't enough. Let me give you a few more reasons why we need to invite people. Developing a kingdom culture, a bringing culture. Not so this church should be successful. Please hear me. It's not about church success. Alright? It's not so you look successful and the cameras come and say, look how full this place is. Friends, that's, God will never grow a church that's looking for fame. Let me remind you this evening, as I already quoted, Jesus is building the church. Let Him build it and stop worrying about how many people are coming. That's not what we're talking about. But let me also say, you've got to bring people to this place. Why do we need to invite people? Because people need to come eat of this incredible banquet that we get to eat of all the time. Why do we need to invite people? Number one, because everyone spends eternity somewhere. Again, I'm not trying to pull on our emotional strings this evening. Honestly, I honestly am taking fact from Scripture and reminding the simplicity again. Why do we invite people? Because everybody will spend eternity somewhere. Every 
single person. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, People are destined to die once. And after that, they face judgment. I wish that was not in there, but it is. Let me tell you about God. He's not some arbitrator deciding arbitrator in heaven deciding who's in and out. I, I listen to Christians and this is kind of what we think. We, because we've served God so long and He's so gracious and so merciful and so kind to us. And when we mess up, He always forgives us. I mean, that, 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 that we begin to believe that's how He is with everyone. And so we, we, we do start thinking. I get challenged. Even this Sunday, last Sunday we had visitors come and then after the meeting we had a big bar- barbecue at the park and, and they came to and they kind of hit me with these questions. I get hit with them every couple of weeks by good Christians who've been saved for 20 years. And they ask the question, what happens to those who don't respond to Jesus? And, and as I'd love to say, man, it's all good because God's a good God and He, friends, God is a good God. Yes, God is a merciful God. Absolutely. The Bible says that I'm experiencing so are you. But let me also tell you about God. He's a God of justice. He's a just God. As much as He's merciful, He's just. And if He does away with just, then He ceases to be God. Therefore, this just God can't one day allow people in if they lived a good life here on earth. As much as we would love Him, and we think there's this arbitrator, God is arbitrator in heaven, and He's deciding who's in and out. When it comes to the day they stand before God, He's going to err on mercy because He's a good God. No, He's a just God. He can't err on mercy. So my, my point with being graphic this evening is every single person out there is out everybody's out. No one's in. Everybody's out. They're not in or out. All are out. Majority of people out there are out. Unless they've responded to one and only Jesus Christ. They're out. So He's not arbitrating. They're out. Unless they've responded to the only way He made through His Son, Jesus Christ. Fact of the Bible. Even in 2013, in Erie today. Same truth for God. Why do we need to invite people? Let me also tell you. Because it's impossible to be connected to Jesus and not care about the people He cares about. Now, you know, friends, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we've got to change our language. Not are you a Christian, and I understand that, but Christians today is, yeah, well, I kind of believe in Jesus. It's got to be more than that. When I look at Jesus, Jesus was quite clear to His people that if you're going to follow, if you want to follow Me, it's not going to be just believing in Me. It's actually following Me. And following is difficult. And He was happy for people to walk away. Even if some of His disciples says, too much, I can't do this. He didn't say, okay, well let me change it because I need you. So this is what it means to follow Me. I don't believe we can be followers. We can know Jesus and not care about anyone else. I want to tell you, when you follow Jesus, you've got to care about those people out there. I care about America. I mean it. I know we've got some dramas in the city, the country. But so does every country. I want you to know, I travel and every country has the same dramas. We just have them magnified because we live here and we're such a great nation. I mean that. I know we've got problems with our government. Things are not as good. But who read the Bible and you'll know, even this great nation's headed for disaster. Only the church has to step in and step up. Jesus is the only way to save this nation. But I care for Americans. I don't know about you. I'm longing to hear that accent of America in, in, the, in heaven. I mean, I want to hear the American accent in heaven. I don't want to hear Asians and Africans and Australians. I want to hear this American accent. I really do. Why? Because I love America, friends. I love these people. You are awesome. I married an American. That's how much I love this country. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not care about America or these people outside. If you know of Him, that's one thing. But to be a follower, you've got to care about who He cares about. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. If that's why He came... It's got to beat in your heart this evening. Number three. I love this one. 
Why do we need to invite people? Here's why. Because found people find people. I just want to tell you this evening, you never found Jesus. Why? Because He was never lost. Here we sing that song, one of my favorite. I found Jesus. And I love that song, but it's so biblically wrong. Why? Because Jesus was never lost. So this is more amazing about grace. Not only did you, did He, He found you. He found me. And He saved us. And He called us. And He purposed us to walk in what He has for us today. He found me. That's incredible. But here's the, the thing about found people. Found people find people. And that's what you see about these guys. Look at the disciples. In John chapter 1, verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, let me read it quickly, was one of those two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus deciding to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about. Are you seeing the picture here? These guys were found and they went and found their friends and said, we found him. Find people, find people. Who's found here? Then we should be finding others. Number four, why do we need to invite people? Because God is patient with people. 2 Peter 3, 9. Let me tell you, if He is patient, He never gives up on them, then we should never give up on them. Friends, I don't think you know my history. Now, I'm not about to hang it all out here. But I had a season walking away from the Lord. I grew up, I was born in this thing. I had no choice. I was born in a place called Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. My dad was a missionary knocking on doors and inviting people, set up a tent and was preaching the gospel. I was there. I was born there. It was six weeks there. Moved to South Africa, all over South Africa. Church planting. Moved to Australia. Moved to the United States. Moved back to Australia. Moved back to the United States. And I had no choice in the matter, right? What I do is I couldn't help it. I was born into this. But I had a season of... of experienced like many others the hypocrisy in the church and I, I felt the church was incredibly hypocritical they, they would say stuff but they wouldn't live it and I found more reality in the world than I did in the church so I blame God, turn my back and let me tell you about me I turn my back on God most people out there are ignorant I wasn't ignorant, I turned my back and said I don't want to even worry I'm going hard after my own life and I sinned and forgive my honesty, I enjoyed sinning. Don't say you didn't. Why? Because that's why you sin. Your flesh loves sin. And I ended up in a place in Australia called Runaway Bay. How ironic. Isn't that amazing? I didn't even think about that until I was reading through uh, Josh, uh, Jonah. I realized Jonah had this. I was in a place called Runaway Bay. What do you think I was doing? Running away. Parting hard. I was a mobile DJ making lots of money. I mean, I, I don't want, Anyway. <laughs> but I was over the life. About 10 years I lived like that. And God rescued me afresh. On my knees, I cried out. I said, Lord, save me. I can't run from you. I want. I know that I can't be what you promised me to be, but I can still come back. And He has given me, look at my inheritance. Now, what I'm saying that is this. He never gave up on me, friends. Man, I've invited people and they haven't come. I guarantee in this room you have invited people and they haven't come. And you say, well, Tyron, you, you, you don't understand. We've done this for three years. We've tried. They haven't come. I'm telling you, don't give up because God doesn't give up. I, I, I'm almost wanting to guarantee you, you go ask them, they'll come this time. I find it amazing how Peter was a fisherman. Think about this. He was a fisherman and Jesus was a carpenter. And Jesus arrives when Peter's been fishing all night. You know the story. And he says to him, did you, kind of, did you catch anything? No. They said, no, we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. As a carpenter. I mean, I don't know. I know he was Jesus, but he was a carpenter, not a fisherman. 
But he says to Peter, who's a professional fisherman, go out and cast your net on the other side. That must have irked Peter. All right? If I come to you, businessman, who's got all these answers, who've done something, and I tell you how to run your business, when I'm not a business person like you, you're going to be irked. Jesus, as a carpenter, says, go out there and throw your nets out on the other side. And Peter says, I believe he did it because this is why. Because you say so. I don't have faith for this, but you said it, I'm going to go. And guess what? They caught more than they could cope with. I want to say to you, don't give up on those people you invited. In actual fact, I want to encourage you to invite them again. And I guarantee you'll be shocked. God is doing something in their hearts. That you and I can never give up. Even those people that have come here and left, God wants them here. Now don't go running after them, but when they come back, embrace them. Because God embraced you, and He still embraces you. Why do we need to invite people? Because there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. Bottom line, I don't care what the culture is telling us, or even the church, the Bible has made it clear. You know, Jesus left no room, no room for the view of there might be another way. He slammed that door closed by making the statement, I am the way, the truth, the life. The fact that we think there's a view for that, we've missed who Jesus is. There is no other view. There's no way. And we cannot, even in a world that is downplaying the truth about Jesus, or even a church today, and the Christians are embracing few ways to heaven now, there's got to be, because God's a merciful God. I'm telling you, the Bible is still true today. And why do we need to invite people? I'll tell you why. Because there's no other name by, way, by which anyone can be saved. Next point. Nearly finished. You cool? Why do you need to, I need to invite people? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus will honor the faith of our faith when we go out and bring, do whatever it takes to bring people to a place where they can find Jesus. I think one of my favorite stories, which blows my theology, is when the four friends have a, 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 a friend who's a, a crippled man. And they hear that Jesus, in Mark chapter 2, I think it is, yeah, Mark chapter 2, they hear that Jesus is preaching in that house. And these guys say, we have to get our friend to where Jesus is at. And so they arrive at the house. You know the story. And the house is full. That Jesus is teaching and they can't get in the house. You know what? They didn't say, well, we at least tried. You know what they say? We've got to get this dude to where Jesus is. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get on the roof. And we're going to pull the tiles off the roof. And we're going to get them to, we're going to lower this man into the place where Jesus is at. Because our friend needs Jesus. And Jesus is in full flight teaching. And they come through the roof. And you know what Jesus, he doesn't say, whoa, I'm teaching. This is me. Move aside. I'll get to you later. He stops teaching. And you know what he does? He says, because of the faith of your friends. I'm going to honor their faith. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Friends, I... That tells me he saved that guy and healed him because of the faith of his friends, not because of his faith. I'm telling you this. I've seen it in my own life. I believe God has honored my faith by saving people that I have brought to meetings. With my faith, God saved them. They can come here dragged. Because it says compel. Don't invite them. Compel. That means go get them and bring them here. And I want to tell you this. I'm convinced that God will honor your faith by saving them. And I also want to tell you about this family, this couple, and these leaders in this room. This is what I want to tell you. If you bring those people to this place, this is a place where they will get to meet Jesus. That's the promise from these people. So you might say, well, I'm not comfortable telling them. That's fine. Bring them here. Bring them to this place. Bring them here. And they will have an opportunity to meet Jesus. That's the guarantee here. 
It doesn't matter what they preach on. Developing a culture. Throw the net out at every level. Even if you know that people in this room are all safe, throw the net out. Get the culture going. Why? Because I'm telling you, you've got to build this culture again. God wants to add people to this church. Not people relocating. People in this city, in this place, who are desperate to eat of what we're eating of every time we come together. God will honor your faith by you bringing them to a place where they can meet Jesus. Why do we need to invite people? You know, just just let me say this. Theologically, I understand this is a struggle. I struggle too. But I was listening to a man talk about hell. I'm always nervous when people tell me they've been to hell. I mean, I feel like I live in hell at times, but I've never been there. This, this guy claimed he went to hell, and I'm nervous. Aren't you nervous about those people? Be honest. You can be here. It's okay. If you've been to hell, I'm a little reluctant to listen. But anyway, and, and he explained his, his, his experience in hell. But, but what I loved is he explained with biblical reference to everything he said. Therefore, I'll listen to someone who's got a biblical backing for what they're saying. But then I also heard on the same kind of program, another guy talk about heaven. and He talked about going to heaven. Even those people are nervous too. And I'm not saying they don't happen. They happen. But he begins to explain his experience. And this guy was a pastor. He got hit by an 18-wheeler truck and literally died, I think, for eight hours. And he went to heaven, he claims. And he begins to explain heaven and describe heaven. And it sounded really cool, honestly. But what, what shocked me most is he said when he got to heaven and the gates, he said what happened were well, all these people came to see him and welcome him at the gate. And when he looked around, he said that they, were, they didn't know each other, but there was something in common about all those people coming to welcome him. All of them had some role in, in his salvation. So there was an old grandmother who used to pray for him, and she came running out. There was a school teacher who used to counsel him about Jesus, and he, she came running out. There was a, a lady who used to pick him up and take him to church, and she came running out. It was all these people who didn't lead him to Jesus, but played some role in his conversion. Now, I don't know what that means for you. But let me just say what shocks me more is I, I don't want to just get to heaven, honestly. I mean, I do want to get there, trust me. And I'm, I'm going, not because of anything, but because of Jesus. But I don't want to get there, forgive my ignorance on theology right now, and hear the trumpet blast, and someone else is coming in, and everyone gets invited to go and welcome there because they played some role, and I get to stay behind the gate. Why? Because I never played a role in anyone's salvation. I want to be on the welcoming committee every... I want to be exhausted. I want to get like a workout. I'm not trying to mock you. I'm serious. I want to get such a workout in heaven because every time the trumpet blows, I'm back. Tyron, you're out again. Why? Someone else said you played some role. Not that you saved. Not that you led to Jesus. That you played a role. Let me tell you, I get on an airplane tomorrow night. I'm exhausted. I'm preaching tomorrow. And let me, I'm praying, God, give me an opportunity. And I'm going to talk to this person next to me on this plane for nine or ten hours all night. Get off the plane and preach. I'm still going to talk to them. Why? Because I want to be in the welcoming committee of every person. Not do I lead them to Jesus. Did I play a role in their salvation? Did I sow a seed? Did I invite them to a meeting? Did I go and pick them up? Did I bring them? Did I do something that played some role in their salvation? Let me be in the welcoming committee. How about you? Why do we invite people? Because we've got to follow His commands. You know, being a follower of Jesus, it's not just about following Him, but it's also His commands. Not just merely viewing Scripture as a suggestion. And the Bible is full of Scripture about us getting out there and telling people about Jesus. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the good news. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Acts 1, 8, you'll receive power. Romans 10, how many believe that the Bible, like Paul says, is the power of God for salvation? You know what he says? I'm not ashamed of why, because it's the power of God for salvation. Can you believe that that power of God can transform a life from a sinner to a saint instantly? That's power. That's the greatest miracle. I I want to see people coming out of wheelchairs, but more than that, I want to see people saved because that's for eternity. It's the greatest miracle. This gospel is so powerful, but let me tell you about this gospel. It It has limits. Let me tell you the limits. 
It can't be responded to if it's never been heard. never be heard if it's not been told so this power of God for salvation has limits are we telling and at least giving them a response an opportunity to respond it shocks me that that gospel has limits because of us not to make us feel bad just to say wow Why do we need to? I've got two more. Why do we need to invite people? Because apart from Jesus, the world is separated from God. The main call of all of our lives in this room is to be agents of reconciliation. You want to ask, what's the purpose of God? What's God's purpose for my life? Which is the biggest question we all ask. I, I honestly believe in 2 Corinthians 5 14 and 21 tells us this we are ambassadors of Christ. But it's this thing of ministry. He's given us all the ministry of reconciliation. The purpose of your life, my life, is to see men and women reconciled back to God through the relationship only through His Son, Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, the world is separated from God. Why else? Friends, I've I, I got to say this. It's futile. I listen. Forgive me. I listen to Christians. And I get like that too, but I listen. And it's like this. Man, I just wish these people would clean up their act. I just wish that person would just get off drugs. I wish they would just clean up their act. I'm so tired of these people. Let me tell you something. They cannot clean up their act. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you, they can't. That's why Jesus came. It's futile thinking to say they can just clean up their act. They can't. America cannot clean up its act. Only God can clean up the act of America. And He's made a way for that. He needs people to respond to that. So we can't walk around our city going, if they were just acting, clean up their act. They cannot. They are desperate. These guys are trying everything. I meet people every day who are trying to clean up their act. I try to clean up my act. They mean to meet Jesus and allow Him to clean them from the inside, not from the outside. They can't. That change will change the world. And we have that change. And lastly, why do we need to invite people? Let me tell you why. Because God is greater than any skeptic, than any atheist, agnostic, clever, well-scholared, well-prepared person who can out-debate you and me at every level. God is bigger than them. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I love to read the stories of some of these clever guys who went out to disprove the death and resurrection and the cross is a hoax and Jesus is a farce and, and they go out there and they are the scientists of the day. And God in His wisdom saves them. Why? Because they have to prove something but you've got to have more faith to believe it hasn't happened than it did happen. Then you've got guys who are writing the books today about who Jesus is, who set out ultimately first to disprove something that's absolutely guaranteed and sure. God's in the business of taking on the people who are more clever than us and saving them because He's bigger than any one of them. And, and I feel like in this room, some of us feel inadequate compared to the people we are surrounded by. And if you get into a debate, you'll feel like they'll out-debate you. Here's what I want to tell you. God wants them saved more than you. It doesn't matter about your debating skill or even your head knowledge. It means just simply who you are and the testimony of your life. And know this, God wants them saved. And I'm convinced we're going to see far more clever people in this season come to Jesus. Those who are well-scholared, who can disprove, are going to be the biggest supporters and ambassadors for this kingdom because God is bigger than them all. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not the cleverest person or the most sound in theology. I hope I lived, but let me, my passion for Jesus 
and knowing that he wants to save and can save and will save. That's good enough. Are you there? This is to be a full place. And I love how full it is. It's fuller than I was last time I was here. But it's not full. In this place, you're in Erie. Maybe some of you live out of the states, other, uh, not, other cities. You come here to the meeting. and Let me tell you, wherever you live, God wants you to reach those people. And God wants you to bring people here. Develop a culture again. And keep that culture. Bring people to this place. And I promise you, they will have an opportunity to meet Jesus every time you come together. Let's get that culture developed again. That's advancing the kingdom for the king. And I believe that's the message for all of us, but for this church tonight. How are you doing in bringing people? Can we pray?